0: Good morning. Uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 20, so please do uh, feel free to, uh, to, to track there and we will get there shortly. Um, before we do, I wonder, um, has anybody ever heard the term Kanban? No? Nope? Ab Kanban. Nope, maybe an IT thing. We got one in the corner. Excellent. I'm going to ruin his day by invoking a work-specific term. Kanban is basically a, a work tracking system that you use for making sure that you're doing what you really should be doing, and um, just a way of kind of managing your own kind of to-do list, really. And one of the, I've, I've been like designing a new team at work and trying to figure out, you know, how should they be working, what should they be doing, and so I'm going, I'm going with Kanban. Um, but basically, the, the one kind of key. Principle underlying all of it is to be most effective you want to do as few things as possible. You do a few things and you do them well. And it's all linked to psychology. In psychology you have what's called the, the cognitive switching penalty. Basically it's a fancy way of saying that we find it really hard to multitask. That if you are busy doing one thing and you switch to doing something else, there's this you know, this this overhead, there's this time where you just lose focus and it takes you a long time to really kind of get into the groove of what you're doing. And we find this hard because we think, oh, you know, I I multitask all the time. But actually, we, you know, we we do kind of the the easy things that we've learned with muscle memory. So, you know, you can uh, chop vegetables or um, you could uh, uh, you know, ride a bike or chew gum, whatever. Um, or you can, you know, turn off the air conditioning in the car um, automatically without consulting your significant other as to whether they're also feeling particularly cold. Um, but you know, you, can, you, you can't do kind of more challenging things. That you can't, you can't properly listen to somebody else. You can't listen effectively to one person while texting somebody else. Or you can't um, effectively change the music on your car by, you know, picking up your iPod and pressing the button without taking your focus off the road, and that is why that is now illegal. <laughs> um, essentially. This gets harder. That The more focus you have to do um, for a particular task, the longer the time is that you lose in switching between one thing or another. If you are um, trying to solve a, a complex problem, if you're writing an essay or a difficult message, then it's proven that if you switch from one kind of, you know, high um, complexity task to another, it takes 23 minutes. To focus properly on that task and so you move from one thing to another constantly losing focus constantly losing time and that's why it feels frustrating I think we all know that feeling you know when, when you're trying to get something important done and just little interruptions keep coming little interruption little interruption they're not big things they? they're little things but they ruin your focus and we, we feel that kind of tension inside and this is especially true in our spiritual walk, that we have things that we do as Christians. We, we, we read our Bibles, we pray, we, we gather together, we worship, we, we, we share, and all it can take is for little things to interrupt that, and suddenly we're, we're lost. I, I, I'm I saying this because I'm literally one of the worst people for this. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting doing my, my Bible study in the morning, and then, oh, notification, message, and, you know, you think, you think you're being, wow, I'm super productive. 30 seconds, bang, I did that. But then where was I? What was I reading? Where, what am I doing? And even here on a, on a Sunday morning, um, either when we're in, in, in worship or when somebody's uh, speaking, it's so easy just for a little thing just to, to come at us and we, and we lose that focus. And this is basically why we need to carve out significant time with the lord in our days in our weeks in our months in our years and there's actually there's a a, an ancient practice called pilgrimage or retreat where we you know carve out entire days or weeks in order to you know make special space for ourselves to, to, to seek the lord and to grow that we, we need, in, in, one, in one way or another, big or small, we need focused, intentional time to grow with the Lord. And so this is why people, you know, would, they, they go off to um, Jerusalem or they go off to um, monasteries or you know for, for us more and more reasonably we tend to go to things like you know christian festivals and conferences uh, short-term mission trips and then actually in a couple of weeks we're going off to canopy together which would be a wonderful opportunity to seek the lord together and the, the reason i'm kind of starting with this is that we are entering with jesus into one of these big moments of pilgrimage In Matthew chapter 20 um, we are joining with a great crowd of people going into Jerusalem for the Passover. And uh, Josephus, one of the big historians of the time, he said that at Passover time, Jerusalem would swell in the size four or five times. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people converging on the city of Jerusalem to seek the Lord together. And so Jesus is beginning on this path from Jericho up to the east gate of Jerusalem, up along the, the pilgrim's trail, as they call it, joining with these kind of crowds of people. So, Matthew chapter 20, starting from verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. Instantly, he's not with a great crowd. He was literally one of the first ones out of the city in that morning. He is on his way, headed to Jerusalem. The rest of the crowd are following behind him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, Have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. I love that in this morning of focus, Jesus, he's got his sight set on Jerusalem, but not so firmly that he's not aware of what God is doing around him. That he is perfectly willing to, to stop and step aside and and, uh, and, and share and minister to these two men. And, you know, it kind of goes against everything I just told you about about switching. Sometimes we have to be open to interruption. We have to be open to the Lord breaking into our day to do something different. And I I love this this particular moment. These two guys, um, they've been blind for goodness knows how long, perhaps their whole lives. And here on this first day where they received their sight they see jesus and they follow him along the pilgrim's trail up to jerusalem into the temple they are with this crowd that are kind of going into jerusalem together you can you can feel that the, the, the energy uh, rising as you know hundreds become thousands become tens of thousands gathering toward the city of jerusalem chapter 21 and verse 1 now when they drew near to jerusalem and came to bethphage to the mount of olives Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. So this is actually quite shocking if you stop to think about it. Jesus is at the end of three years of ministry. He has walked to and fro all around Galilee and and, and the rest of uh, Judea. And we estimate that across those travels, he probably walked more than a 1,000, maybe more than 1,500 miles with his disciples. And here, for the last two miles, he requires transportation. He stops. There is this donkey plant. We We don't know, is this a supernatural insight? Does he know that prophetically there is a donkey ahead? Has he planned in order to make sure that donkey would be there for him? But for whichever reason, it's important for him to have this donkey to get into Jerusalem. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. In Greek, literally, their Lord needs them. The Lord of the donkey, I love that. And he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Let's actually hop over to Zechariah. If you go a couple of pages back in the Church Bibles, that's page 797 to Zechariah chapter 9. Um, You might be prepared with a bunny-shaped bookmark in there if you're lucky. Zechariah chapter 9, starting from verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, from Israel, and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So, Zechariah, one of the final prophets in the Old Testament, 500 years before this moment when Jesus would mount this donkey and go into Jerusalem, he had glimpsed this. He had been shown this by the Lord that this day was coming when the king would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Righteous and having salvation, he shall speak peace to the nations, his rule shall be from sea to sea. This donkey is a sign that this is the rightful king entering Jerusalem. Matthew 21 verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! There's two things happening here. First of all, the people are reenacting a scene from history. 200 years before this, between the Old and the New Testament, there was a big revolt by, by Simon Maccabeus. They, they, they threw off the, 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 the powers that had oppressed um, Judah at that time. And when they had won their big victory, Simon Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem with people waving palm branches, signaling the victory of this conquering king. In this moment, this is something which they remember, they still celebrate even to today. They, they, they minted coins with the little palm branches on them. It was so significant. And here they are expecting Jesus, this conquering king, to come in and throw off the Romans and to set up his kingdom here in Jerusalem. And meanwhile, Jesus is purposefully making himself as small As possible, riding in on this donkey, humbly coming in as the Prince of Peace, not here to overthrow an empire, but here to defeat the power of sin. And you hear their shouts Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. You hear that the the energy is rising, the people are are shouting and calling out, and, and actually they are singing. Believe it or not, if we um, hop over to Psalm 118, we'll find these words. Psalm 118, I'm going to begin with verse 19. This is actually one of the psalms that the people would, uh, would sing together around Passover time as they're way, on their way up to, uh, to, to sacrifice, on their way to, to seek the Lord. This is a, a song which they'd probably be singing more or less every year as they're on their way up. Verse 19, Psalm 118, sorry. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me, and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. This is the the Hebrew term, Hosanna. Save now, Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Speaking ahead to good friday the following week you are my god and i will give thanks to you you are my god i will extol you oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever so unfortunately we don't know the tune But the people are singing. They are singing the words of this psalm, this Passover psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This song has been sung for hundreds of years previously. And today is the one very special day this song was intended to signify. The day when the rightful king of Israel, the king of all creation, would come in to the east gate of Jerusalem. Matthew 21 and verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. So the scene changes. Jesus is riding peacefully up into the city of Jerusalem, up to the pilgrim's gate, up to the temple mount. And then he enters into the temple courts with this crowd of people who are all coming in to worship. And as he goes in, into the Gentile court, the, the, the court where they are meant to be all free to, to go in and worship, it's filled with tables, tables, People turning over money, selling things, trying to turn a profit in the house of the Lord. And people, I mean, historians think this is maybe the key moment that that, that turned everything for the leaders in Jerusalem. Up until this moment, they'd been, you know, whispering about Jesus, talking about him, what can we do? But he hadn't been directly confrontational with them. Jesus had been purposefully staying back, hanging back teaching to the people, but but not directly confronting the leaders in this kind of way. But in the temple, in the place where the scribes and the Pharisees had all uh, dominion and uh, and authority, Jesus comes in as the king of Jerusalem, as many kings did before him, and clears out the temple, clears out the, the other things that people are doing. This place is to be a house of prayer and a house of worship. This is the moment when Jesus is saying, it is not enough to be doing things the way that you are. It's not right to be turning a prophet here in God's house. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So the people have all entered the city singing many songs, particularly this is song Psalm 118 together. And even there, once they're in the temple and things are quiet and down still, that the children are singing away the same song that they've been singing together as they've been gathering. There is joy in God's house at the coming of the king. The king who is here for a very special Passover. Essentially, what what Matthew is underlining, in fact, what his entire gospel underlines again and again is that Jesus is king. This is Matthew's interest. If if you actually, if you read cover to cover through Matthew, look out for the words king, messiah, messiah, Christ the one who is anointed to be king of Israel all these words they're very you know kingly language that we don't see in the other gospels to this extent Matthew again and again is underlining Jesus is king that is the message that he is driving at here and this is the moment where that kind of crystallizes for everybody it's been hidden from many other people it's been kind of going on under the surface Jesus uh, kind of living with his power and authority but here jesus enters jerusalem as king bringing righteousness bringing peace so jesus is king what does this mean for us there are three different types of people that we see in the passage here kind of engaging with jesus and first of all, we, we encounter those who are in a place of deep need. We, we come across the, the blind and the lame who are coming to Jesus. He is helping them, restoring them, giving them life. And for us, this covers a, a wide range of things. Any, any place of, of need where it just it, it feels like we're, we're struggling. It's being put upon us. We don't know what to do with us, to do, to do with these things. We know that Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take upon yourself my yoke and my burden, for my yoke is light and my burden is easy. I can mince the words a bit there, but Jesus' burden is light. He has hope for us. If Jesus is king... He is king of all things. We see across the Gospels his dominion expanding further and further. You see Jesus has authority over sickness, over death, over creation. Jesus' kingdom seems to keep expanding as we read. If we are right that Jesus is king, then we are safe to bring the entirety of our need to Jesus. He can handle all these things and he has life and hope for us that is available nowhere else. In Jeremiah chapter 2 in verse 13, the Lord um, challenges his people and he says to them that they have this tendency to forsake him. The fountain of living waters, the fountain for all that they need and instead to dig their own cisterns that don't hold water. To find their own hope, their own security in other places. And we, we do this. This is how we originally come to faith, isn't it? That when we, when we begin, we already have these pools, these places, these people, these things that we, um, we, we go to, to, to get security, to get hope, to get joy. And we, we, we constantly go back to these places again and again to, to dig and try and find joy in these other places. And this is part of the, the practice of the Christian life is that as, as we, we go on is that we, are, uh, we, we, we kind of form a habit of finding, identifying and forsaking these cisterns, these pits that don't really hold water, the ones that feel like they're running empty every time that we go back to them, that give us almost enough to be full but never enough. We need to understand that Jesus is king. And he, by his grace, by the Holy Spirit, by the word, by prayer, by fellowship, he has given us so many different sources through which he will provide us strength every day. And so my challenge there is that what or who is your main source of strength? when you get up in the morning, when you hit difficulties this week, where where do we go? Who do we look to if we're truly honest with ourselves? Because honestly, it's not Jesus. And practically, if something is formed in your mind of another place, another thing that you go to, I ask you, what will you do practically this week to forsake these competing sources of strength, to recognise Jesus as King in the place that he deserves to be, to take hold of that fountain of life that does not run dry, that joy that does not wear out, when the world is kind of going to, going to pot around us, that, that peace that, that Jesus died to bring us. So we come across those who are in deep need, which is often us. There are also those here who Reject Jesus to those for whom Jesus is not king. This is many of the people in the crowd, as well as the the Pharisees, the, the leaders there. Basically, if you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and I mean, my, my question then is, what what do you make of the historical accounts that we have here? And you know, this is it's an open-handed question. I think whatever we believe, we have the evidence here in front of us that we needed to be confronted with and that we needed to make a decision about one way or another. I, I uh, was a, an atheist in my, in my younger years and I loved to, to question things, to test things, to, to check things. And I can, I can commend this book and these texts to you. That every shred of evidence we have points to this book, to these texts as being authentic. That they are written in the periods they claim to be In the places that they claim to be. That they fit together with all the rest of the um, historical and archaeological evidence. And therefore, the default course of history, our default understanding, no matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, the default understanding is that Jesus, this man, rode into Jerusalem in the way that we have described this morning. A week following, he died on the cross after being put through a trial by the Roman authorities and then, three days later, he rose from the grave and history was changed forever. We still measure our calendar every day of the week by the day that Jesus was born. Whichever way we take it, we, we, you can't afford to be idle with these things. What, what do you believe about the teachings of Jesus? Either we take history at its its value, either we understand these texts to be the truth, or if we don't, make sure that you have very good evidence for what it is that you believe. Question, test it, check it, it is good. Because Jesus claims himself to be king. And if that is true, in the same way that the donkeys were foreseen 500 years before, That there was going to be this king riding in to Jerusalem. In the same way Jesus promised us that he is coming back. He is coming back for his people, for his children. To judge the living and the dead. And ultimately there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more death. That if Jesus is king, are we in his kingdom? And the other group that we have this morning, those who are followers of Jesus, those who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, going along with the crowd here. And if Jesus is king, the question is, do we recognize his power and reign every day? Um, We we all kind of get trapped in this this loop where we think there are these one-off special days. We we look back, this is one day that was foreshadowed in history. It was was always designed to be this way. That the blind men who would uh, encounter Jesus, the donkey he would ride on, the children who would be singing in the temple, all these were destined on this day to encounter Jesus. These things would always have happened and always uh, have have changed the course of their lives forever and we often wait for these days we, we, we hope and wait and pray for for the day when God will will do the, the big thing that we hope for maybe to break a pattern of sin in our lives that we've really um, struggled or, or not wanted to, to, to set aside or to reach a friend or a family member or a colleague that we we hope for we long for we pray that God would reach them and we can wait for that day. We wait for the, the big word of, of intervention to come someday in the future. And the challenge is that when we, when we live our lives waiting for these special days, we forget that Jesus is king today. That he died and he rose again and his kingdom has continued to go forth. He is no less willing to work today then he has been at any point in the past or will be at any point in the future. We read Psalm 118 there. It says loud and clear, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I love, I love in the book of Hebrews, it talks about God set forth a day for salvation and he called it today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when Jesus is king. Today is the day when he is willing to work. And so for that reason we are able to live and have faith. We're able to read the Bible, expecting that when we read this book, He will speak to us every day. That when we pray, He will connect with us every day, because today is the day when Jesus is King. This is why we kind of we we, we forsake the, the patterns of this world that do not recognize Jesus as King, and his kingship comes first and foremost in our lives. That it's great to to gather together on a Sunday morning for 90 minutes, two hours, but it's so much better to engage with each other through the week, through the month, through the year, to actually do life with each other, to talk, to share, to fellowship together, to meet together for Bible studies, for prayer, for, for small groups. I know many of the, the small groups in the church would, would love, if, if you're not part of a small group today, for you to join uh, with us. Please do, feel free to, to catch any of us at the front. We can, we can, we can find you one uh, near you that we would love to, love to uh, invite you in. And we've got a few initiatives in the church as well right now. We've got the, the Parenting for, for Faith course we looked at right now. I love that that's thinking intentionally about how to live each day in our families, in our communities in a way that recognises that God is living and active and working in the world around us. And we've also got our Try Praying books this week. It's, it's so easy. I, I, I do this so many times myself where you get something like this and you know it, it goes in the car or it goes in home, eventually ends up in the bin and you think, today's not the day. Today is not the day. You know, I'll pray, nothing will happen. Forgetting that Jesus is king. If we are willing to submit our lives to his rule and reign, he is willing to work today. And so in this really incredible week leading up to a Good Friday, I would encourage you do, do try praying and do you, take, 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 this, take this week as something special. Read these texts, read the, the accounts of, of, uh, of Jesus' trial, his death, his resurrection. Let us uh, see what would the Lord be pleased to share with us in this season that would refresh us and fill us up and empower us for the days ahead. Jesus is king. Let us recognize that and live in that truth and reality together. Amen.